Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. It's that Sunday we've all been waiting for. Time for the big event. There'll be chiefs and 40-somethings. Yes, it's the presentation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the temple which happens 40 days after Christmas and celebrates a major event of substantial significance in the life of the chief characters in the story of our salvation. Jesus Christ and his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now this feast is one of the most ancient of the church. We have sermons recorded for this feast dating from the early 300s. This feast is one of what are called by the Orthodox, the 12 great feasts. Overall, these 12 great feasts commemorate and bring us into the major events of the lives of our Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Mother. This feast also concludes the Christmas season by any standard. During Mass today, you will hear again the preface of Christmas uh, during the Mass. We um, are dressed in white, a Christmas color as well. And as you know, in the West, we celebrate Christmas a minimum of 12 days, which ends on Epiphany Eve. And typically, uh, at least our Western Rite Ordo says that we take down our decorations here at the church after the octave of the Epiphany a week later. But in some countries, decorations are not removed until today, 40 days after Christmas. So if you still have your decorations up, you ought to run home after church and get them down. Uh, For Mary... Today, the focus of the events is on her purification. In our gospel passage, Mary is completing a rite that's found in Leviticus chapter 12, the purification after childbirth. There it says that when the 40 days of her post-childbirth purifying are completed, she shall bring herself to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting that would later become the temple. There, a lamb, a year old, would be offered for a burnt offering. But that's not what you heard today in our gospel, because the passage provides an alternative, a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And it shall be offered before the Lord to make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So if they can't afford the lamb, they shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering, because they can't afford a lamb. And what this tells us is very important. One is that Mary and Joseph are faithful Jews who follow the law of Moses. The other thing is, is because they do not offer a lamb, we know that they are very poor. And let us not forget that our Lord and King of Kings was born not even into a middle-class home, but into a very impoverished one. Let us be mindful of this and thank the Lord for all the blessings and comforts he allows us whatever our state of life. And one of those blessings is light. We started the service today with a series of prayers about light and candles. This is also known as Candlemas. It, uh, and by falling approximately 40 days after the winter solstice, around the time we celebrate Christmas, we are about halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. So we're entering this period of time when the days start rapidly getting longer again. You've probably noticed the light is there when you're waking up in the morning, and it might not have been even a week ago. 
And we're so blessed by our electric lights, which we've been enjoying just a little over a century as human beings, but there's still people in this world that don't have reliable light at night. Light provides a feeling of safety that we all too often take for granted. My children rely on their nightlights for comfort. And when we last lost our electrical service for over 24 hours due to the hurricane that came through Atlanta, it reminded me how unnerving the darkness is when you can't fully control it. Today's also called Candlemas because as you heard through the prayers, we have this day. This is a traditional day on which Christians, Eastern Rite, Western Rite, bring candles to church to be blessed, to then be used for the rest of the year. And there are some blessed candles there in the back in that uh, tray, and you're welcome to take, take one home if you like. You may note, too, that this day coincides with another great festival, Groundhog Day. Now, it turns out this is not a coincidence. There's an old Scottish proverb that says, If Candlemas Day be dry and fair, the half a winter's to come and mare. If Candlemas Day be wet and foul, the half a winter was gone at Yule. And furthermore, there's a German proverb that says, The badger peeps out of his hole on Candlemas Day, and if he finds snow, walks abroad. But if he sees the sun shining, he draws back into his hole. Who knew? One more fun fact, just for today, so don't miss it. You'll only get this one this year. It's a special palindromic day, right? It's 02022020. Anyway, that candles. So the candles represent also the greatest blessing of all, a symbol of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, who provides the greatest safety and comfort of all, the salvation which God, who provides control of the darkness, as Simeon proclaimed, has prepared before the face of all people a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. We've heard throughout the Epiphany season that this is a time not only of the revealing of God to Israel, but to the Gentiles through the Holy Magi, for example. And this is yet another proclamation of that. That again, I may be wrong, but I don't think there are any Jews here. We were brought in to that church that congregation of Israel. We are part of that nation. And Christ is the one that does that. And in this meeting with the righteous elder Simeon, there wasn't only a proclamation that the prophecy of Malachi, which we read as our epistle today, was fulfilled. But Simeon issues a new prophecy. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And then speaking to Mary, yea, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. From our perspective after the cross, the first part of this prophecy seems pretty straightforward. But the second probably deserves just a tiny bit of unpacking. What does Simeon mean, a sword shall pierce your heart? Well, first, it's notable that the word sword in this passage is the only place that this particular Greek word for sword is used outside of the book of Revelation. The sword used everywhere else in the New Testament, for example, the one that St. Peter uses to slice off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest, that's makira, versus this sword, which is ramphaya. Ramphaya 
is that double-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of the Son of Man. This is a serious sword. Perhaps in part of this prophecy, it's about those events that we heard about from Stephen at the wedding of Cana. When Jesus's words help guide Mary into the truth of who her son really is. Mary, like all the disciples, wasn't fully expecting what God was really bringing into the world. And whether you're willing to hear, as Mary was, will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. There's also hope in that passage. Blessed Theophilact, in his commentary on this passage, says that 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 message that a sword shall pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts be revealed. He said that that means that the thoughts of many who fell into doubt would be uncovered and revealed and having been rebuked, they would quickly find healing. Peter's denial was also revealed, followed by the power of God who received Peter back by repentance. The thoughts of many hearts were likewise revealed when the betrayer appeared And when those who loved the Lord appeared, such as Joseph of Arimathea, when he went to Pilate, and the women disciples who waited at the foot of the cross. So have hope, my brothers and sisters. Finally, I want to spend a little bit of time discussing the presentation of our Lord Jesus Christ at the temple. It's obvious that the firstborn, especially the firstborn son, has great significance in the Bible. We see the Apostle Paul repeatedly allude to the firstborn in his letters. In Exodus, we hear that the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. This is placed in the context of the Passover. And then there's further discussion. When the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time, when, when in time to come, your own son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt in the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. This is the redemption that we hear about today from St. Luke. But But from what are we being redeemed? We also heard the passage in Hebrews this morning from Uh, from uh, during morning prayer about the firstborn and the redemption of the firstborn. Now, one could interpret this as salvation from Passover death afflicted upon the Egyptians' firstborn, but there's more to it than that. The passage begins with the key message, consecrate to me all the firstborn. And that means to God, the firstborn are holy by default. Holy or consecrated, remember, just means to set apart specifically for a religious purpose usually. And what was that religious purpose for which the firstborn males were set apart in Judaism? To serve as priests. Recall the firstborn gets the inheritance. That's part of what we were reading. And one of the key automatic inheritance that the firstborn originally received was that of the priesthood. That was deriving from Adam's priesthood. 
However, you know that the Levites ultimately became the priestly family of Judaism, not all the firstborn males. So what happened? Well, we have to go back to Numbers chapter 3, where in establishing the Levite priesthood, this is what the Lord said to Moses. Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. So the firstborn was to be dedicated to the Lord and to the Lord's service, but then God declared that only the Levites would serve in that role. However, the other firstborn still had to be redeemed. They had to be freed from that holiness, that state of holiness, that priesthood. And in fact, you'll see that God later in the same chapter sets that redemption price as five shekels. Given today's silver prices, that'd be about $50 to give you a sense. But really, silver has been kind of going up in price around 1970s and silver dollars. That would have only been like $8. OK, now this probably wouldn't have even like broken the bank for Jesus's poor family, though it may have been a hardship. And it turns out that even today, Orthodox Jews who are not from the Levite class appear before a Levite priest and pay that redemption price. So this is kind of remarkable, right? I mean, following this law is Jesus. He's the God-man, our Lord, wholly consecrated to God and God's service. Yet here in the temple, he's redeemed, set free, somehow it seems, through that ceremony. Now you could think maybe this is somehow similar to his baptism, to which he submits, though that was also unnecessary. But I, but I think it's, it's different than that. I think he is fulfilling and submitting to the Jewish law, which I want to remind you is a pretty special law. You know, people love to say, oh, the Ten Commandments, it's just like the law of Hammurabi or whatever. It's not at all. There are several very interesting features of the Ten Commandments. One is that it's the only law code I know of that has a thought crime in it, coveting. I don't know of any thought crime laws, and certainly there weren't any in the Code of Hammurabi. The only person who can know you're breaking that law is God. The second thing that's very interesting about the Jewish law was that it applied to everybody. It applied not only to the Israelites, it applied to foreigners, it applied to animals, and most importantly, it applied to the king too. So if we truly understand who Jesus is, we need to recognize that this is a necessary event. It's not just him following the law. The king has to follow the law. He's not above the law. In fact, as a king, he's subject to it, just like anyone else. And furthermore, I mean, God, Jesus himself says he came not to, you know, change one thing about the law. And that's because the law was established by God. It's not separate from God. Indeed, it's an expression of who God is. God doesn't need to try to fulfill the law. It just comes naturally to him. In addition, though, Jesus has to be set free from the obligation of the Levitical priesthood. Why? Because he abolishes it. St. Paul tells us that he establishes a new and greater priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, who we heard all the way back from Genesis. So ultimately, Jesus redeems all the firstborn and establishes a new priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. No longer is it only the firstborn males who are the priests, but you, me, everyone. Or if you want to look at it another way, he reestablishes the priesthood of the firstborn. 
Because in the kingdom of heaven, we're all firstborn. We're all entitled to the full inheritance of the kingdom, as we heard St. Paul telling us this morning. We are born again, firstborn, every one of us, into the kingdom through the sacrament of baptism. So dearly beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ, today, 40 days after Christmas, also parallels the ascension, which comes 40 days after Easter. We see how Christ has lifted us up as firstborn beyond our grandest imaginations. Each and every one of us are heirs, sons, and daughters of God. But what have we done to purify ourselves in the 40 days since Christ's birth? Have we lived up to that rebirth, to that ascension? What are we presenting to the Lord in the temple today? Are we shining the light of Christ? Are we offering the Loga Kila Trio we talked about a few weeks ago? Our rational, logical, human worship by sacrificing us as a spotless victim? Are we presenting something pure and holy like a newborn babe? Christ tells us, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us repent of all that is in us that is not of Christ and become like the newborn Christ in the temple, innocent, spotless. Let us embrace the priesthood that Christ has reestablished us all into. This priesthood is not just a calling for us as Christians. It is our bounden duty. It is, not, it is the default. It is the default natural state for us as children of God. We are servants of God. We are called to continual sacrifice. We are called to servant leadership, and it isn't always easy, yet we don't have to do it alone. After all, we're called to the same priesthood. We are many members of the body of Christ, and furthermore, we've been given the Holy Spirit to guide us and support us as well as the Holy Church. So the light of Christ shines so brightly on this and every candle moss that there are no shadows to make us fear that winter returns. There are no shadows to make us run back into our dens. The good news of Christ, that you are saved, you are loved, and God will never forsake you. He loves you, and the darkness shall never overcome, is made manifest, most especially on today's feast. Leave this place remembering that you, yes, you are a part of the priesthood of all believers, of which I, as a deacon, am merely a type, an example. And don't forget that you are a light to this world. Don't hide it under a bushel, no. Go, let it shine. This world needs you. Look around you. This world needs you and your light and love so badly. There's so much darkness in this world right now. So be his candle, Christ's lamp, and find someone this week with whom to share your light, the light that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ bestowed to each and every one of you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections Given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox Mission in Atlanta, Georgia.